Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. I'm excited today to be joined by Sanjeev Razdan, president of the Americas in India for the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf Company. The Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf Company opened its first store in 1963 by founder Herb Hyman. Since then, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf brand started the frozen coffee drink craze with the invention of the original ice-blended drink and is also the first global coffee and tea retailer to offer cold brew tea. Company currently has over a thousand retail locations across the globe and can also be found in grocery aisles as well as specialty locations, including airports and hotels. Thanks so much for joining me today, Sanjeev. I truly appreciate it. Brian, thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me on the, on the show. Well, as we've spoken offline, my wife and I are big fans, and one of the many things we miss about living in California is going out and getting those frozen drinks. So um, every time I go out to see my oldest daughter, I make a beeline as soon as I get there. So um, listen, you're a young lad in um, India. You are able to go to the University of Mumbai, get a Bachelor of Science in Physics of all things. Mm-hmm. And yet, then you followed that up with a degree in hospitality and hotels. Mm-hmm. What was the thinking there? Were mom and dad proud of the physics and not so much of the hotel one? Or, You know, what an interesting question. So here, once upon a time, growing up in India, there were three career choices that any middle-class young person had. You had to become an engineer a doctor, or you join the civil service. Those were the respectable career choices. So in the spirit of trying to become an engineer, 
I started taking STEM subjects. I loved figuring out how things work, and that led to physics. I loved the first year of physics. It was great. I had six different uh, dimensions of physics. But as physics progressed, it started becoming math. And when math was not my first love, and I was like, what happened to uh, the, uh, my love for science fiction and uh, what, what led me? I, I was reading Isaac Asimov and Carl Sagan and all these wonderful people who were theorizing about physics, uh, and, and it all vaporized. <laughs> in the meanwhile, I developed a love for uh, working in teams, just volunteering in college, and being around people. So I wanted to pursue a degree in management. Um, and so I said, how do I get some practice doing interviews and group discussions, which were required to get into a management program or an MBA? And hotel schools at the... Uh, at the time, were coming for campus recruitment, Brian. So one such company called ITC Hotels, that was the franchisor for India at the time for Sheraton, popped in and they said, hey, here are some forms they were giving out on campus and we'll interview you and do the whole process on campus. I thought, what great practice for my MBA entrance. And that's how I landed up going through the process. And before I knew it, they offered me a job. And then that was a head scratch. I was like, now do I take this job or do I pursue my MBA? And that was a fork in the road that I took up and then joined the ho hotel industry for the first five years of my career. So that's how that happened. Interesting. So what was the first job you had with ITC at, at one of the Sheratons? It was at one of the Sheratons. Um, it was a two-year executive training program where you started off, you know, cleaning rooms and mopping floors and uh, worked in every department of the hotel. This is a large 500-room, five-star hotel. It was called the Moria Sheraton in New Delhi. Uh, and then my first job when I graduated from the program was the being the room service manager of this large property. Now, did you pick the food and beverage path over rooms path, or was that chosen for you? Right, it was chosen for me. I was in a batch of, I'm going to say, 20 executive trainees, 19 of whom had come from previous degrees in uh, hospitality and catering, hotel management. And I was the experimental candidate who they brought in from <laughs> a, a BS in physics. So I was hoping that they would put me in uh, accommodations uh, or what was called front office at the time. A and lo and behold, I got the property of my choice, which was this flagship property in New Delhi. But as a result, they placed me in food and beverage. Well, it served you pretty well. It's, it's, a, it's a good fork in the road for the rest of your career because you spent about five years in the hotel business first, right? I think out of school. That is correct. And I fell in love with it. 
you know, from being a mediocre student, I topped my batch of trainees and really, really found my calling in life. Well, I can guarantee you that there aren't many physics degree holders um, that go into the hotel industry. So um, I just think it's a fascinating path that you took. Where, now, when you were young, even before university, was hospitality in your mind or n- not even on the radar? You know, it was not in the radar as a career choice. I did have an uncle who was in the hospitality industry. He was in hotels. There was a hotel chain in India, still is, called the Oberoi Hotels. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very fancy. And, you know, ever so occasionally he would take us um, and treat us at one of the uh, hotels with a nice meal. And so it was this very sort of exalted experience that we had, uh, but it was never a career choice. Yeah. Yeah, some people just fall into it early and others, you know, like you kind of fell into it, not accidentally, but a little accidentally, right? A little so, bit. Little so bit. You, you spend five years at the hotel where, where you always, was room service the highest you went at the hotel or did you fall into other departments as well or positions? It was always food and beverage. So room service is where it started, which was very daunting because there was no direct... Uh, guest interaction, right? And I remember standing there in my first role with all these room service trolleys and trays and the breakfast rush starting to kick in and my head was spinning uh, trying to make sure that we had all the balls uh, up in the air. But from there, I moved to managing our 24-hour restaurant, which in those days was referred to as a coffee shop. It was called the Pavilion, I still remember. Um, so those are the the two big roles that I had in those five years. And so how does the change come? So you spend five years with ITC, um, and then you join Yum Restaurants, I believe, That's right? right. Um, as a as a restaurant GM. And in India, Yum represented which chains at that point, at that time anyways? So here's what happened, Brian. The economy started opening up in India at the time in 1995. The government started allowing foreign investment and Pepsi-Cola came in to start investing in bringing their brands. Pepsi-Cola at the time owned a lot of different restaurant brands, believe it or not, including KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, Eastside Mario's, D'Angelo subs, I forget, but there were a California Pizza Kitchen. So somebody reached out to me and said, Hey, would you like to join uh, KFC? And I used to wear a dinner jacket to, to work in the evenings at bar at Law Trousers during the daytime, a day suit. I'm like, This is a bridge too far to going from uh, what I'm doing. To breading chicken in the back. So I, I passed on it. And then six months later, PepsiCo again knocked on my door and said, hey, we're bringing in Pizza Hut. Uh, would you be interested? And I'd never seen a Pizza Hut. I had no idea what it looked like. Oh, really? Because this was the startup. Uh, I'd never stepped out, outside the, uh, stepped foot outside the country except to go to Nepal which also had no Pizza Hut. So they showed me a video 
It was a classic training video VHS tape and had the rah-rah, welcome to the team. And they positioned it as casual dining restaurants. So I thought, you know what? Let's do it. So PepsiCo was reputed. Pizza Hut felt like a lot of fun. It came with a ticket to the United States to visit and train there because we had no Pizza Huts in India at the time. And that's how I took that leap. So now when they bring you over here to the States, where were you, what state were you training in? And was it a big culture shock for you or? New Delhi to Dallas, Texas was an enormous, enormous uh, culture shock there in the mid nineties. So I remember landing up at Dallas, Fort Worth, being handed over the keys to a rental car and given an address before the days of GPS and navigation systems. God. <laughs> and uh, told, okay, find your way to the service apartment. I, I almost didn't think I'd make it <laughs> to the service apartment, never mind, uh, you know, su- survive to get trained. But I trained at uh, a variety of different pizza huts in the Dallas Fort Worth area and had an absolute blast. I got to visit Wichita, Kansas, which is where the home of Pizza Hut uh, was, and Pizza Hut started. So I had a fantastic time. Well, Wichita, I always refer to my listener in Topeka, Kansas. So it's it's a very similar type environment. And I can just imagine, the because in 95 even, Dallas you know wasn't as built up as it is now, obviously. And I remember developing hotels there and just driving for what seemed like three days to get to Frisco, for, for goodness sakes. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So you had a, you had a long run there, right? Because you, you were with Yum for about seven years. years, I believe. Well, in India for the first seven years, but Yum um, in general for about 20 years. Oh, that's right. Because then you join Pizza Hut after that. So Great. let's walk us through your journey in India then with Yum, because you worked your way all the way up, I think, to COO of Pizza Hut and KFC over there. So I joined uh, the Pizza Hut startup six months in Dallas, training how to be a restaurant manager. Um, I go back and now our job is to open the first restaurant uh, in India. So that was a lot of fun in a startup. You get to do so many different things and your role is way beyond any title that you have. So rolling up one's sleeves, you know, thinking about what should the service proposition be? uh, How do you build a great culture? Where do you source ingredients and uh, a variety of things, smallware and things that you need to get uh, a new restaurant started? So it was a lot of fun. I did that was uh, very grateful to move up the ladder. I became an area manager uh, and and essentially just kept moving up till I was overseeing Pizza Hut and KFCs in the Indian subcontinent area. And in those seven years, uh, I made it to the CEO role for the Indian subcontinent. And I'm... uh, Incredibly grateful here for a gentleman called Niren Chaudhary, 
who is now the chairman of Panera Brands, but at the time was my director of operations, and he hired me into Pizza Hut as a restaurant manager. Wow. Um, and taught me how to scale culture. How do you take uh, a set of values, bring them to life, create not just a consumer-facing culture, but an employee-facing culture. Uh, so I had a, I'm incredibly grateful for Niren, who was a, a mentor from a very early stage of my life and career. Now, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, and if you don't know the numbers, that's fine, but I'm just wondering. So 95, how many Pizza Huts were over there? And then when you left in 02, how many ballpark? And I know it's, you know. Yeah, I when I joined, clearly there were no Pizza Huts. Yeah. By the time I left, there were about, got to say, 120 KFCs and Pizza Huts between India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and Mauritius, which was my beat. So the Pizza Huts in India, by the time I left, probably were, let's call them 30. Yeah. Well, that's good growth, though, over th at that time, period of time. Absolutely. And and you must have been, I guess, I guess one of the cool things about that, too, is starting at the, the base of it, you're involved, to your point, you know, in marketing, sales, HR, all the different operational roles, development, real estate. It must have just been a great seven years of learning for you. Uh, it, incredible. Incredible learning for doing exactly what you described, Brian. Um, a chance to have a finger in every pie. And there's learning by doing, right? When you get to make mistakes, get it right. And also, Yum! was a tremendously people-focused culture, which meant that they were doing structured investments in our development. So one got to attend conferences and leadership development programs and just be exposed to talent that was exceptional. I remember that as part of that startup, our chief marketing officer, and this is an office of, think about it, 15 people at the time, was a gentleman called Ajay Banga, who is now the CEO of the World Bank. For, formerly the CEO of MasterCard. And the CFO of that small little business unit was a gentleman called Harmeet Singh, who is now the CFO of Levi's Worldwide and formerly was the C CFO of Hyatt Worldwide. So at the time to be exposed to this caliber of talent one-on-one -on -one for extended period of time, obviously, it was just such a gift. Wow. Your contacts on your phone must be pretty impressive. <laughs> the, the, the likes of those gentlemen. Just incredible uh, experiences and tremendous gratitude for having had the experience to, uh, or opportunity to work alongside these gentlemen. Yeah. So, all right. So you're, you're, you're at Yum. Your COO, it's 2002. 
Mm-hmm. Um, is that when you got brought over to the States with Pizza Hut in general? That's exactly right. So around the time, PepsiCo divested their restaurants division. And the company became Yum Brands. And Yum Brands was consolidating their investments. So their company investments in that part of the world was slowing down, development was slowing down for a while as they uh, pivoted on their strategy. So I put up my hand at the stage to say, I would love to get some exposure outside of India and made it known that I was keen to keep growing my career. And I was very fortunate that a gentleman called Rohan St. George, who was the global VP of operations for Pizza Hut at the time, uh, gave me the opportunity to move to Dallas, Texas back again in a global operations role. So that's how uh, we landed up in Dallas. And by we, I, what I mean is I met my wife through Young. Uh, Nisha, she used to be a marketing manager for KFC. Uh, and then by, by this time, we had two uh, daughters who were two and four at the time when we moved to Dallas. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I'm glad to see that in the restaurant business, it's like the hotel business because that's where most of us met our, our significant others. I met my wife. We worked at the same hotel together. And, you know, 34 years later, we're still together. So I think, I think it's like that in a lot of businesses. But you spend so much time together working at the beginning. So, all right. So you come over as global operations director out of Dallas. That's right. And you had, you had that role for a couple of years. Um, and then did you leave the States to go over to the U.S. Yes. or did you do that from Dallas? Um, we leave, left Dallas to go to London, England. So I'll tell you the, that story. So I did this international role for three years. Uh, my role was essentially to do two things at, at that time. One was that the casual dining of business of Pizza Hut around the world was starting to feel a little jaded. So I was partnered with a marketing colleague to roll out a program called Enhanced Dine It. Uh, and the objective of that was to put the mojo back into our casual dining business around the world. And this may come as a surprise to many, but outside of the United States at the time, the bulk of the Pizza Hut business, which was about 5,000 restaurants, was all sit-down casual dining. The second part of my job at the time was to figure out how to scale home delivery to the rest of the world, which the Pizza Hut business in the U.S. had already started to become. So that's what I did for three years. It took me to 30 countries, uh, had an incredible uh, experience at the time uh, and which was massively impacted uh, by a gentleman called Andrew, who was my uh, significant boss during that period of time. And Andrew was just an incredible leader who taught me as an operator on how do you start thinking more strategically. 
I think often when you grow up in the hospitality business, no one really prepares you for what does it mean to think strategically, communicate more strategically, what is strategic planning, and it becomes a blocker in people's development. So Andrew Partridge was a great mentor during those few years, and I'm grateful to him. So he taught me this, and now three years in, I said to Andrew, Andrew, I would love to become a general manager. I think that's where my calling is. And the company told me, if you want to become a general manager, you need to go run a significant size PL. So I said, all right, well then let me go run a PL. And that's uh, how they said, well, we've got just a role for you, but it's in London, England. Uh, the UK at the time was a joint venture between Yum and a company called Whitbread. And so off I went uh, with my family, and that led to an eight-year stint with Pizza Hut UK. So the girls were born in India, mm -hmm. then a little time in Dallas. That's right. Then a nice eight-year reign over in London. That's right. What do they consider themselves now, as, now that they've grown up? Where, where, where would they call home if you said, hey, we're going to send you home? I think home is now Los Angeles, where we've been for the last uh, eight or nine years. But my elder one, who is now 25, she considered London home for a long time, even after we moved to the U.S., and wanted to go back to university in the UK. And that's exactly what she did. So for her undergrad, she went back to study in the UK. Whereas the younger one, she's as much of a California girl as you're going to get. Yeah, I, I'm always fascinated that by that because those of us in this type of business move around so much. And I know my girls, actually, if you said, Truthfully, they'd probably say Indianapolis was where they kind of grew up, even though they ended up their high school days here in Connecticut. But we moved around California and all over Florida, everywhere. So it's always interesting to see, to ask that, you know, where, where do the kids <laughs> think home is, is really? Nice. But, so life in London is great. I mean, mm -hmm. I, one of my favorite international cities in the world. Yep. Um, and you got to spend a lot of time there. I think you said eight years over, over there. That's right. You know, That's right. You know? And then from London, where did you go? So London turned out to be a great uh, stint for us. I got the opportunity to do a variety of different roles, including Chief Development Officer of Pizza Hut UK, uh, Chief Concept Development Officer. So I felt like I became really broad as an executive. I learned to flex culturally and felt really prepared for that general management role that I was craving. So around that time, Yum said, hey, you know that GM role that you've been asking for? We have that for you, but it's back in India. <laughs> so they offered me the role to go back to India as president of Pizza Hut. And believe it or not, it was the same Niren Chowdhury who had hired me, who was now the CEO for Yum's all three brands in India offered me that role. So he was incredibly supportive and kind and offered me that opportunity. 
And so off we went uh, with our girls kicking and screaming to move this time from London to New Delhi back again. And how was it for you going back? Because that's always, it's always tough when you, you know, you, you're in India, you go to the United States, you go to the UK, and now back to India. Uh, was girls who were kicking and screaming, but how about you personally? What did, how did you feel? A lot of pride going back in this role? Ryan, it was a mixed uh, bag. I think emotionally on a personal front, I felt terrible for doing what I was doing to the family, dragging them along to a place where they did not really want to go back. Uh, so it was tough. At least the change was tough. Personally, I was very excited for the opportunity. It was a professional opportunity I was craving. There was a sense of pride in going back to where I'd started the startup. Um, Pizza Hut India or Yum India at the time had been made a division of Yum, which means that we were reporting directly into the chairman CEO of Yum Brands, a gentleman called David Novak, who was an absolute legend and a giant in people leadership and restaurant uh, industry. So I was going to get more exposure to him. So professionally, a fabulous opportunity that I was very excited for. And personally, just a tinge of uh, regret for dragging the family. Yeah, I can I can totally understand that. And it's it's always a, a push-pull type of thing on the emotions because professionally, it's a great move. Personally, it may not have been the best move, but um, it sounds like uh, the girls have done all right for themselves and they're continuing sure. to thrive. So you were president of India for about, I think, three years. Three. That's right. Um, and then what came about for the next adventure? So a little bit of push-pull again. When we moved to India, one of the things that I had verbally agreed with Yum was that we would be able to do this for about three years and then requested a soft landing back either in the UK or the US. So three years later, the business had done incredibly well. I was proud of what we'd achieved. We put our daughters into the American Embassy School in New Delhi. So they were in the American schooling system. And at that three-year mark, I was on the verge of completing 20 years with Yum Brands, but also on the verge of completing that tour of duty that I'd committed to my family that we would... <laughs> Uh, get them back into an environment that they wanted to be in. So I explored a move back to the UK or US with Yum. The timing did not work out. Yum was very keen that I continue to lead our business in India. But around the same time, as luck would have it, a former colleague from uh, Yum Brands, a gentleman called Steve Late. Uh, had just become the president of Applebee's. And there's a lady called Julia Stewart, who was the CEO of what was then called Dine Equity and has now become Dine Brands. They were looking to construct a leadership team for Applebee's uh, based out of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, and offered me the role 
of the chief operating officer. Uh, Applebee's is a great American brand, uh, it, over 1,800 locations across the U.S. It was $4.5 billion in system-wide sales. It was a canvas that I had never had an opportunity to paint on before, and yet it gave us the opportunity of getting back into the U.S. So the desire to explore life outside young after 20 years uh, with the opportunity to come back, bring the family back to the U.S. and have this phenomenal role. It, the lure of that was incredible. And so that's how we landed up moving from New Delhi to Kansas City. Another typical move spot <laughs> from New Delhi. This will make you laugh, Ryan. So my daughters go to American Embassy School, right? So they go back and tell their teachers, who are all American expats, saying we're moving to Kansas, and they just went, you're moving where? I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, these the girls came back home and they started giving me grief saying, what are you doing to us now? You know, we love our lives here in New Delhi. Oh, boy. We love this school. And now you take us to where Dorothy spent her whole life trying to get out of? Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, yeah I remember. So I remember when my boss said, hey, we, we, we need you. I was living in uh, Tampa, Florida at the time. And he said, uh, and I'm just a dumb kid from Canada, right? So um, I'm loving life in Florida. And uh, he says, hey, we need you to go run this complex of two hotels that we're going to try these two brands in one building type of thing. I said, sure, I'll go wherever you want. He's, he said, great. I said, where am I going? He goes, Indianapolis. I said, all right, give me five minutes and I'll call you back. He goes, could you call Rosa and talk to her a little more than five minutes? I said, I'm not calling Rosa. I said, I just have to look it up on a map because I have no idea where Indianapolis was at the time. And, and he just, he roared laughing. He said, listen, just call me tomorrow after you've talked to Rosa. And sure and then we spent seven years there. So you just never know. You just never know. Um, so, so Dine Brand, I mean, I had John Payton on uh, in, I think, season one or two. Um, he's now the CEO of Dime Brands. That's I used right. to work. I used to work for him at Starwood, a great organization. And you're right, Applebee's is the classic American brand. Um, so you had a nice run there of about three years, I think, as a COO. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then you made a move to my youngest daughter's favorite brand. So, I, right? oh my God, yeah, yeah, she loves sweet greens. So, how did that move come about? So here's what happened. When I was at Applebee's, I got to work for, for the most over there. Uh, Julia Stewart, who was the CEO, uh, had a fabulous run. She was a great leader, provided direction, but then get out, got out of the way and ensured that I had the support I needed to succeed and win. So that was a great run. Uh, three years later, Julia Stewart uh, parted ways with uh, Dine Equity. She had some difference of uh, opinion with the board, and as things change in corporate America, and that led to a whole new administration getting in place. Around the same time, what had happened was Applebee's had moved their campus from Kansas City to Los Angeles. So we had now, as a family, moved with Applebee's from Kansas City to the L.A. area. 
And in the LA area, somebody connected me with these three young co-founders of a brand called Sweet Green. John, Nick, and Nate. Um, they were just absolutely charismatic at the time in their late 20s, had built this lifestyle brand. I think the it had about 60 points of distribution at the time. I met them and they had this incredible vision. This, the gentleman that I spend most time with is Jonathan Neiman, who is now their CEO. And he wanted to build the Netflix of food. And he described this compelling vision where there is a user interface that's completely digital, where like Spotify, the system starts suggesting to you the kind of food that you like. So if you're somebody that likes umami flavors and vegan food only, then that's the kind of menu you start seeing. Uh, he had this vision of having that food be assembled fresh every single day or prepared fresh every single day in what was going to be our stoves that were manufacturing facilities and then finding innovative ways of distributing that food to customers wherever they were and scaling it up to the size of McDonald's. So I was so thrilled by the opportunity to work with, with people or founders who had access to capital, big, bold vision, and were willing to place a bet on me. Uh, I, I was just absolutely enamored by that opportunity and then took the leap of faith and went to work for them. That's how that happened. And it's got to be a totally different environment, right? Because you grew up in a very uh, hierarchy corporate world, and now you're going to these, you know, this this founder, these founders who have this, to your point, big, big, bold, uh, us, you know, goals and dreams. Got to be a totally different work environment for you. So, first of all, if John, Nick, and Nate ever listen to this or hear about this, I want to just express my gratitude to you for the opportunity that you gave me in the placing your bets on me at a critical stage of the brand's development. But I walked into Sweet Green, uh, first of all, from an age demographic. I think everybody was 20 years younger than I was. <laughs> there were dogs running around the office. There was no reception. You got out of the elevator and you walked into a kitchen. Uh, and the vibe was just in very different. Uh, and I loved it because it was a fabulous learning. It was a fun environment. It was very entrepreneurial. And it was extremely exciting because I was bringing things to the table that that team did not have. My skills, my experience and leadership. And that brand and the team there gave me much energy and an opportunity to be able to demonstrate what I was capable of doing uh, at the right stage of my career. So I absolutely loved it, but it was a culture shock of a very different kind. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And, you know, the whole California thing is different in and of itself anyways. Um, but you to to what you said, your 
background and experience of growing brands and growing physical plants and everything else had to be a huge help to them as your experience, you know, help guide them. They, they have the big goals and the big visions, but at the end of the day, you still have got to be able to have a brick and mortar place somewhere and you've got to be able to figure that out. Absolutely. And so that was phenomenal. We had a great team. I was able to bring on some t terrific people there, but also do things that most other companies don't give you an opportunity to do. For example, at one point I was leading a team of five, which was a restaurant automation team. We had uh, robotics engineers and automation engineers and industrial engineers and started working on how do you take robotics and automation and apply that to the chain restaurant business and figure out how to make real food accessible through these restaurants in a more sustainable way, more uh, consistent way, and a more cost-effective way, which I'm delighted to inform that now Sweet Green finally uh, a few months ago, had their first fully automated um, restaurant that they announced. So that work started back when I was there. See, that physics degree at the University of Mumbai came into big help for you there. I mean, <laughs> never, never thought about it, but you're right. Yes, I mean, you probably could understand some of the mumbo jumbo that these science, these science-driven guys <laughs> were talking about robotics and everything. Whereas a guy like me, I would be, you know, glazed over. <laughs> Just a little bit, but it was uh, incredible, very humbling, and very exciting at the same time. That's awesome. And and like I said, my, one of my my youngest daughter loves sweet green. So now we we jump forward now into twenty. I think twenty one is when you joined Cotton. Right. Mm -hmm. How did how did that move come about to my favorite coffee company in the world? So the world is uh, experiencing COVID at the time. Uh, COVID hit sweet green. Unfortunately, very badly. A lot of sweet greens were in Manhattan and in central business districts. Um, people would stop going to the office. Manhattan emptied out. And so that brand was going through a very transformative phase of its own kind, more existential transformation than anything else at the time. And in the meantime, a Philippine-based entity called Jollibee Food Company acquired this iconic brand, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. And they had just figured out uh, how to navigate COVID and were now looking to start assembling a leadership team to grow the brand again in California and the United States. So they present. They knocked on my door and presented me with this opportunity of turning around the brand in the U.S. and figuring out a way of building a new team, repositioning the brand, and growing it back again. I had been familiar with the coffee bean and tea leaf from my time in Asia because they have a presence there as. And in fact, it does incredibly well uh, across several countries in Asia. So to have seen it in that, in that light and then saw its somewhat tired avatar 
in back in California, I was very intrigued to explore this opportunity of saying, how might one take a brand that has incredible bones, great quality product, uh, has been underinvested for a few years, and try and you know make a go of it? And that's how I landed up at the coffee bean. Well, hopefully your growth plans include Connecticut um, down the road. Uh, but it's luckily I, luckily I still have one daughter living in California. So, you know, that's at least two trips a year. So, um, I'm always getting out there, but well, thank you. But listen, what a great story. I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I know you've got a life and a business to run. Um, so, uh, you know, you've thanked a lot of people, Narang, Rohan, Andrew, Steve, Julia, the three guys from um, Sweet Green. Sweet Green. Um, and it is Tuesday after all. So is there anyone else that you'd like to add into the uh, bucket of thanks before I uh, let you go make some coffee? Brian, I would be remiss if I didn't thank my wife, Nisha, who I've been married to now for 27 years and has been the an absolutely incredible partner through this journey and my truth teller. Uh, and my daughters, Meha and Dia, who I dragged along at various, various places around the world and are now thriving in California. I'm grateful for them and thankful for them for uh, being big part of my journey. Well, I, you know, I'm sure, you know, as they grow older, they will look back upon those moves very fondly. I mean, their children, their global children. I mean, they've had the advantage of experiencing India, the UK, different parts of the States. I mean, that, that all gets put in the back of the bank there for future growth. So while they may have come kicking and screaming once in a while, I'm sure at the end of the day, uh, they're, they're going to be very thankful for that journey as well. So, well, listen again, uh, thank you so much for doing the show. I just love the story. Um, I think you, you know, you're still a young guy. You still got a long way to go. Um, and we'll look forward to some exciting stuff coming out of the coffee bean, uh, and leaf, uh, tea leaf, sorry, company. So, um, I'm going to end as I always do people. If it's Tuesday, let's get out there and thank some folks. They're going to love it and you're going to feel good doing it. So Sanjeev, it's been great to get to know you and thank you again so much for doing the show. Thank you, Brian. Hope you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well. Be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon. Hope you enjoyed the show today, and thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, 
a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.